Hello everyone and welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Avid Kahl and I talk about bootstrapping, entrepreneurship and building in public. This episode is called Problem Discovery for Calm SaaS Businesses. And first, a word from our sponsor. Microacquire is the number one startup acquisition marketplace and it is simply the most efficient way to sell a startup when you're ready to make your next move. Typically, as a first-time founder, you have no idea what you're getting yourself into when you're going through an acquisition, but Microacquire wants to change that for you, and they want to empower founders while they're speaking with buyers and then really help streamline this whole process of getting acquired for maximum price and without any headaches. To date, Microacquire has helped hundreds of startups successfully get acquired, and they have facilitated hundreds of millions in closed deal volume. So if you're thinking about selling a startup, you will want to check out Microacquire. I highly recommend it. Go to microacquire.com to learn more. And now, let's get started. If you want to build a business by selling a product that people genuinely need, your solution needs to solve a critical problem that your prospective customers are willing to pay for. A problem that's so obvious and painful that they cannot help subscribing to your SaaS. The process of problem discovery is your pathway to finding that problem. And it's one of the most important and unfortunately often massively overlooked steps in building a business. Because let's face it, we love our ideas. I catch myself coming up with a genius app idea almost daily. What if we had this app? What if I could use this service? It's idea first thinking all the time and it's ingrained in every single one of us. We're surrounded by a world of products and solutions, we have difficulty contemplating problems deeply when we've been trained to come up with solutions as quickly as possible. But in the problem discovery phase, we don't look at solutions. This feels odd and uncomfortable for most people, particularly when they're from an engineering background. But it's usually just an exercise in intentionally delaying gratification. I know it's a great feeling to work on a solution. I'm an engineer, but truly understanding the problem space and then picking the right problem to solve, now that's a step you shouldn't be skipping. The future of your business depends on getting this step right. Calm software as a service businesses have one thing in common. They serve customers with a solution that solves a well-defined and noticeably critical problem. Let's make sure those terms are clear. A well-defined problem is a specific problem. It's scoped around a single task or a small set of goals to be accomplished. An example, I want to send money from my checkings account to my savings account twice a month from my phone. Now that's a well-defined problem, but I want to save some money is not. The better you can define what a problem is about and what it's not, the more specific you can be in your discovery of a solution to it eventually. Solving well-scoped niche problems is much easier than trying to solve something you can't even describe clearly. That's because solving a niche problem means that you help similar people with similar problems. A product built for that group will serve the whole customer base pretty well, and any product improvement made will immediately impact all of your users. A product trying to help too many people with too many different problems will be hard to build and hard to maintain, and even then, it will only help your users a little. 
take Google Sheets. It's a great general product for making a quick spreadsheet, but the moment you need to track more than a few numbers and maybe integrate a few data sources, you need a custom solution that understands and respects your process. And that's where SaaS businesses come in, and they do best when they limit the scope of the problem they solve. In addition to being well-defined, a critical problem is also painful. It costs us. It costs us time or money and effort every time it appears. The best SaaS-compatible problems are recurring. They happen regularly and they can't be easily avoided when they happen. This can be multiple times a day, like having to file a report for every customer that a customer success agent helps with the problem, or yearly, as is the case with submitting your tax information to the government, for example. No matter the cadence, it's a good candidate as long as the problem comes up regularly. And not all recurring problems are critical. If you can easily defer dealing with this problem into the future, it's likely not critical. A critical problem is urgent when it happens and important enough to be a top priority at that point. A problem that's important but not urgent is just tedious. And a problem that's urgent but not important is just pressing. A problem that can be deferred and isn't a priority well, they were just talking about the nuisance. But the nature of being an important roadblock that has to be solved urgently makes a problem critical. It needs to be tackled right away by someone who understands what would happen if it were left alone. Usually, this makes it hard to delegate. And solving this problem for somebody else is not really possible. It's an important problem. It needs your complete expertise and attention. Problems like this are a small subset of all the problems that you'll find people having. Most of the problems out there are unimportant and not urgent. Is the lawn overgrowing? Well, I'll mow it tomorrow. Does the washing machine make a weird noise? We'll call someone when it starts jumping. But if the fridge breaks, we act immediately. Food is essential and keeping it from spoiling is urgent. It's an important and urgent problem. So these are the problems that businesses are meant to solve because they elicit a budget in our potential customers. I will call the fridge repair shop when it breaks, knowing that I'm going to be out of $100 for the repairs, but I know that throwing away all my food will cost me much more. It's important and urgent, it's critical. I wanna suggest one consideration here. While you wanna solve a critical problem for your customers, you should be careful with mission critical problems. If you tackle a do or die problem for your customer, their stress levels in ensuring things keep working become your stress levels. Let me give you an example here. There's a business called Endcrawl. Endcrawl is a SaaS business creating movie end credits. They take lists of position and names and then render outstanding credits for feature films. They solve a critical need because every movie needs credits, but they don't solve a mission critical problem. Storing the raw movie files on a file storage platform, that would be mission critical. But if you wanted to build a calm self-funded SaaS, offering a service that multi-million dollar film projects hinge on, would not be very calm. Imagine the collective outcry when a cloud storage provider like AWS is down for just a few minutes. Whole economies would shake. If Endcrawl is down for an hour, rendering gets delayed a bit. The rest of the movie making process goes on. But if a prominent infrastructure provider like AWS has an outage, the internet explodes and the business and the project is in danger. Building the next AWS will be anything but calm. But building a tool used by those producing content for Netflix, just like Endcrawl and hundreds of other niche solutions, can be a very relaxed and enjoyable journey. Calm SaaS businesses solve specific problems critical to their customer's success without creating stress and anxiety for the SaaS business itself.
And that's just what you're looking for. Uh, just critical enough, painful, recurring, non-deferrable, hard to delegate challenge in the lives of the people you chose to serve and empower. You can explore all kinds of exciting solutions from there, but that's a later step. Let's dive into how you can learn more about those problems in your chosen field. What challenges do your future customers have? The best way to learn about this is to go where they discuss their actual challenges, their communities. Problem discovery is a process of community observation, excessive note-taking too, and then analyzing frequency, intensity, and budget of the things that you find. So let's start with the community. You will want to find where most of them talk shop. For artists, that's a website like ArtStation. Software developers, they hang out on Twitter. Recruiters spend their work days on LinkedIn. Many communities exist in forums outside the social media space too. Wherever you need to go to hear your field's daily woes and challenges, you first have to find it. And that is usually easier than you might expect. Just ask. People will gladly help you find out more about their communities if you just ask them. Where do you go to learn more about your field? Where do the experts hang out? That's what you want to ask. You'll often find the answer surprising in a good way. There are so many communities out there that you couldn't even find without someone pointing you in their direction. And then the next step is equally simple. Join these communities. Sometimes that's done by just signing up for an account. Other times it needs you to go through some kind of approval system. If you need to get approval, share your willingness to help and empower your prospects with the administrators who hand out approval. Tell them why you care about their field, how you've seen people struggle, and how you want to be part of their community to start helping them selflessly, without self-promotion, and then contributing to the greater good of that community. Once you're in that community, you have a very straightforward task, and that's to shut up and listen. It's like Schrodinger's cat. If you interfere, you might change the experiment's outcome. And the experiment here is figuring out what problems people have by listening to what they talk about. There are four distinct kinds of problem indicators that you can find in communities. Those are complaints, cries for help, requests for recommendation, and requests for alternatives. Each type has its own recognizable shape and deserves to be noted down and analyzed in a particular way. And I'm going to get to all of them. People directly informing you that something isn't working for them may be one of the most evident signs that there is a problem. It's when people say, I can't believe that X is so hard, or why is there no X solution for Y, or I can't figure out how to do this one thing, or how on earth do people deal with this? The common theme among complaints is that they usually come after someone unsuccessfully attempts to solve a pressing problem. Their frustration levels are rising, they eventually escalated to sharing their annoyance in their communities and you are there to hear it. Understand that a complaint is usually a frustrated message. It might draw a bleaker picture than the person would feel in another situation. But still, a complaint is a clear indicator of a pain, a strongly felt one too. And if you see regular complaints about a particular issue, you might be looking at a very critical problem. When people vent their frustration, consider holding back on engagement just a bit at that moment. A person who just typed furiously to deal with their pain is not the best candidate for a thoughtful and calm conversation. Take a note of the conversation happening and engage a bit later, maybe even through another channel than directly responding to the original message or thread. And while complaints are usually very emotionally charged, people asking for help, 
that's usually a much more somber affair. While often using similar wording, the complainer doesn't actively seek assistance. They're just looking for consolation or commiseration. But a person asking for help is looking for a more interactive experience and you can be there for them. When people ask for help, they have exhausted their repertoire of solutions. Particularly in professional communities, people will try many, many things before they consider asking others for assistance. And while in certain communities, it's perfectly fine to ask for help, it might be considered a sign of weakness and lack of experience in others. Your embedded exploration efforts should have provided you with some insight into this threshold so that you can distinguish how experienced any given person asking for help might be. That's what you need to figure out if you look at your market. By virtue of having limited knowledge, beginners will usually ask for help faster and more often, which will skew the quantitative distribution of asking for help messages towards the novices in any given field. Every now and then, an expert will ask such a question too. Pay close attention to those posts because they point at critical problems that even the most experienced professionals, who often have interesting budgets, have trouble with. Take notice of who responds to people asking for help and how they approach both solving their problem and asking for clarification. You will learn a lot about how solutions in this space can be analyzed by observing how people try to find the root causes of underlying problems. And the people who jump at the opportunity to help another community member are the people you want to follow and engage with much more actively. Consider how much insight they have into the problem space on your target niche. Not only do they hang out in the community, they are actively trying to solve people's problems. If there is any person who you should ask about problems they regularly encounter, it would be the person that is always on the lookout for people who need help. People who don't need help immediately but are interested in preparing for a future problem will trust their community to supply them with valuable recommendations. Whenever people ask for tools or processes or resources that will help them approach a future challenge with confidence, you should take note of these things. Which products, services, or resources are recommended most often within the replies for this particular question? What gets recommended all the time across many different questions, and who recommends these things? How experienced are they? Are they trustworthy? Might they have ulterior motives? How does the community react? And then is there a follow-up? Does the person who initially asked report back after they consumed or used the recommendation? Did it work for them? This is a very effective way of evaluating a recommendation. You might even consider asking the person who asked a few days after they received the recommendation if it worked out for them, and if not, why? Try figuring out how the solutions that are being recommended are monetized too. This will heavily inform the expectations around price in that community and industry. If every single recommendation is a free tool or a resource that everybody can access for free, you might run into trouble charging for something comparable later. That doesn't mean that a solution to their problem can't be turned into a viable stream of revenue using different monetization strategies, but I personally prefer to directly charge people money, which directly validates the balance between price and value. An interesting variation of looking for recommendations is the ever so slightly more specific ask for alternatives. Recommendations are open-ended. People take everything they can get. But asking for an alternative is different and much more interesting for the problem discovery process. Here's a solution to a validated problem that is not sufficiently solving it. It kind of is, 
but not fully. On top of that, someone is actively seeking a better solution. And since we're interested in signs of a validated problem, this is a powerful signal. Someone else has found a problem worth solving, but then they failed at executing. While that means that their solution might need some major tweaks, it pre-validates the problem for you. The other validation that people asking for alternatives provides is the existence of a budget. Unless the person explicitly asks for free alternatives, you can consider them to be interested in paying some sort of fee for a solution to their problem. For your future price calculations, it's then useful to jot down the average price range of the product for which an alternative is sought. This will give you an anchor price at a later point. Alternatives also allow you to understand what the workflow of your prospective customers is. Obviously, the product that people want to replace doesn't quite work with how they approach solving their problems. It's a good idea to ask them about this part specifically, because since you already know the problem is valid, this will give you a head start for invalidating any ideas that you might have that will clash with your customer's reality. And finally, let's look into another kind of message that you might find in communities that is indicative of a problem. When people are sharing the often crude systems that they made to solve a problems themselves. Whenever you see someone trying to build an Excel sheet or a Google Doc to enable them to solve an issue, you have found an issue exhibiting several traits of a critical problem. It's recurring, it's painful enough that someone built a system around it. It's important to understand how and why people choose to communicate their problems to others. And this is a validation strategy that you can leverage for your further outreach into your community, for your marketing of your business and your product, and finally, the product decisions themselves that you have to make. Listen to your audience. They will tell you what they need and how they need to be talked to for you to learn more about them and their problems. The things you will hear in your community will be hundreds, if not thousands, of unique individual challenges. But beneath every single instance of a problem, there's a pain. And those pains look a lot alike. Here are three types of pain to look out for. Time pain, resource pain, and pain of the self. Most productivity-related issues cause temporal pain, time pain. People feel like they're wasting time. These pains are caused by suboptimal processes and friction between tasks. If tedious work takes a lot of time, it keeps you from doing important and useful things instead. That leads to time mismanagement and relevant actions not being taken. By solving the time-related problem, productive tasks can be accomplished faster and sooner. So when people complain about inefficiencies and tedium and pointless work, you're looking at a time-related problem. People also hate wasting money. Anything too expensive for the value it creates is a big problem for the person and the organization they're in. Often existing solutions are too costly, which will cause them to feel like a painful expense. And regulation imposed on an industry can make certain activities prohibitively expensive, both financially and from the amount of work that will need to be done. Resources are not just money. Capital is only as useful as the people it's compensating. So human effort can easily be wasted too, and that creates a resource drain. Solve these resource-related problems and free resources can be allocated more efficiently. If you hear people complaining about a waste of money, prohibitive costs, compliance issues, or the wrong people working on the wrong things, you're looking at a resource-related problem. Finally, let's talk about self-related pains. This group of problems is often overlooked. Everyone wants to be notable somewhere. This can mean holding a position in a company or being regarded as a supportive coworker or good friend. When people struggle with achieving these things, they feel self-related pains. 
And the four essential concepts to look out for here are reputation, accomplishment, advancement, and empowerment. Reputation is a measurement of trustworthiness and expertise. People want to be regarded as a source of knowledge and reliance. So anything that creates uncertainty or doubt of someone's skill can be considered a self-related problem. You can help people to be more reputable by transferring renown from a trusted source. That could be certification or credentials. People really like diplomas for some reason. That's what helps with reputation. Accomplishment is a measure of success and respect. People want to show to the world that they are good at what they're doing. Anything that suggests risks, setbacks, or failures will be a self-related problem. You can help people accomplish more by reliably taking over the tedious work and allowing them to be creative and practice their ingenuity and show it to people. Then there's advancement, and that's a measurement of progress and alignment. People don't want to stand still, and for lifelong learners, advancing towards new opportunities is an integral part of their journey. Helping people advance might have exciting consequences. In some cases, assisting people in earning more money might elevate them out of the job that they're currently doing. And many factors, including political ones, cause advancement problems. You can help by making sure that the quality of work and access to information are as good as they can be. Finally, empowerment. That's a measurement of meaning and liberation. It's a second level version of advancement, really. Helping other people succeed. People want to support other people, and helping them do that will result in a higher reputation, build a network of trust, and mutual support. Restrictive permissions and inflexible processes usually cause problems of empowerment. Now that you know what messages to look for and what pains lurk beneath them, let's look into a pragmatic way to track problems in your community so you can analyze them. You can be as elaborate as you want, but at a minimum, Keep a list where you note down a problem every time it occurs, what kind of message you found it in, and who talked about it. These three data points will allow you to reach out to a validated person who has publicly spoken about a real problem. If you can, note down a link to the message and the URL to the personal profile of the person who talked about it, because you can use it later. If you can aggregate versions of the same problem into a more general term, that will make analyzing the data easier. Instead of noting down, they have to file a 20-page report every Friday and the other person has to email their team lead a PDF file Monday at noon, just write, they need to file a lengthy report once a week for both. That way, you can collate identical problems later and count how often these problems occur within your community. So here are a few additional locations to regularly source problems from. Product review sites. Great source, customers regularly complain about their particular grievances with specific products there. Take note of common complaints because they indicate a critical problem just as much as complaints in social communities. Competitors' feature upload tools are also great. Some SaaS providers have public-facing tools where their customers can suggest and rank feature requests. No business can implement every single feature, nor should they, but you can learn a lot from the features your competitors chose not to implement. Those hint at problems that are critical to their customers because they talk about it, but not compatible with the solution provided by the tool that they already use. But they do use it. That's validation. Someone is paying money even for a suboptimal solution. There's room for more there. Then there's job listings too. That's a good place to look. When companies look for people to help them with a particular set of problems, you can dig deeper and see if you can distill it into a critical problem that a SaaS solution could serve. 
And this company and everybody else who posts similar open positions could then use that. Anywhere people talk about their problems, explicitly in a complaint or by showing their preferences implicitly through a purchasing or cancellation decision, that's a good place to listen and to keep tabs on what comes up. Once you have collected a few dozen problems, you should start looking for commonalities and signs of critical challenges in there. Using your list, reach out to the people that you found complaining and asking for solutions to their problems. Figure out if they have found help already since they asked and use their responses to gauge if the problem was truly critical or if they found a way to ignore it. Problem discovery is an ongoing process of constant reflection and always questioning your assumptions. Even if you have a finished product that sells well at some point, you still need to keep in touch with your community to learn about shifts in the needs and wants of your prospective and existing customers. Because sometimes critical problems can turn non-critical quite fast. Once you have found a problem that exhibits all the signs of being critical, it's time to put problem discovery on the back burner and start looking for solutions. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Bootser Founder Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Arvid Kahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. You'll find my books, Zero to Sold, and The Embedded Entrepreneur, and my Twitter course, Find Your Following, there as well. If you want to support me and the Bootser Founder Podcast, please leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. Thank you very much for listening to me today, and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.